context of what we're continuing is that Peter's talking to Christians in how they should go through suffering. In how they should go through the difficulties that they're facing. And we concluded chapter 3 last week where Peter's saying, look to Christ as our example. You talk about someone who suffered unjustly, it was Christ. And he's saying, that is the model. That is the uh, pattern in which we are to suffer. And he reminds them of that. Chapter 4, he says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, he says, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. So he's saying, arm yourselves, or be ready for this spiritual battle that's taking place in your mind. Be ready. He's going to say later on, don't think it strange or don't think it odd that you go through suffering. Just expect that you're going to go through it. I don't think that means that we have to obsess over every possible bad thing that might happen and become paranoid. Almost like we're just waiting for the next bad thing to happen. But also, though, we shouldn't be surprised because we're living in this fallen world. And because, like Paul even talked about in Ephesians 6, there's spiritual battles taking place. But not only that, it seems like what Peter's saying here is, look... This suffering, yes, people are doing evil and sinning against you, but God's using that to refine you. He's using that to purify you as believers. So don't think it odd. Don't think it strange. Be ready. Be prepared for this. Don't allow it to completely catch you off guard because suffering's going to come. He says, so arm yourself with this mind. It starts in the battle of the mind. And he says, likewise, the, or for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So what he's saying is not that when you suffer and you suffer for righteousness and when you do it well that you've arrived and reached this place of a sinless perfection. But it seems like what this verse is telling us is Peter saying, when you suffer well and you suffer for righteousness and you are willing to trust God's hand in all of this, what you're doing is you are, you, the, the, that power and hold that sin has on you loses its grip. It loses its grasp. Because when we suffer, what happens is it causes us to prioritize what's really important in life. And many times we get our priorities really messed up. We overvalue things that are worthless. We overvalue things in this world that aren't going to last and don't matter. And we undervalue what truly matters. And Peter's saying, when you truly are going through difficult times and you're suffering, and, and you have this, this mind of Christ in all of this, it's releasing that power that sin has on you. And you think about it, look, when we go through really difficult times, really painful times, we prioritize what's really important. We prioritize what's important. When you have an illness that you don't have an explanation for, when you have a child that's sick, when you have something that's just beyond your control, what does it cause us to do? Well, it should cause us to understand what truly is important in life and what's not important in life. The things that we get worked up and stressed out about and freak out about that aren't really that important. But when we have this, 
this, um, when we have this suffering, when we have this catastrophic thing that happens in life, what it causes us to do or should cause us to do is prioritize. I have a picture of my little nephew. Thank you guys for those that have been praying for my nephew, Ryder. And some of you have heard that uh, little Ryder's been in the hospital. He was, became ill last Sunday afternoon and evening. We thought it was the flu. We thought it was just some kind of bug. He wasn't getting better. Just wasn't really um, showing any improvement. So finally, Tuesday, uh, my sister took him into uh, urgent care. They immediately sent him to the ER. Like, hey, something's not right. So they thought he was just dehydrated. They gave him some fluids. They, they sent him home a few hours later and seemed like maybe that was helping some. And then the next day, same thing. Just laying around, just... Just, you could tell he was just miserable. And Thursday, they take him back in and they, um, they recognize that it's appendicitis. That is, he needs his appendix out. They send him to Iowa City. They have his appendix out. He gets to Iowa City and they say that they've, they've already ruptured. They can't do surgery. They have to put a tube in to start draining uh, draining the abscess and then, and then they can do surgery. And he's still in Iowa city right now. And they're, they're trying to drain some of that. They're not sure. They're not seeing a whole lot of improvement that the doctors yesterday thought they were seeing good signs. And, and there's just a lot of uncertainty. I thank you guys. Some of you didn't know. So please pray for him. Those that have reached out that, that you're praying. Thank you guys for your prayers. I know that some of you don't even, haven't even met Ryder, but Maybe you met him last week. He was here in service. And so thank you for your prayers for him, for uh, my sister and brother-in-law, for my mom who's here. I'm thankful my mom got to stay longer. It wasn't really under the circumstances, though, that are ideal that she's staying longer with us. But I thank you for your prayers. But when we found this out Thursday, it's amazing how, like, all of a sudden you prioritize, like, what's important when there's, when there's things like this that happen. And when there's suffering, when there's difficult times, it causes us or should cause us to truly recognize what's important in life and what's not. And I think what happens is that when God, one of the things that God can do when we go through suffering is it causes us to release this tight grip that we have on the things of this world. And not even necessarily like sinful things, right? But it can cause us to release the grip. I think we, it reveals just how much like we can stress out and freak out about things that aren't important. Things that don't matter. And maybe you've experienced some of this, like with your own health, with someone that you love. Or maybe it's not even a health-related thing. It's a, a strained relationship that you have that it just, it grieves you and hurts you. And it's like you would give all the money that you have, all the possessions that you have to get that help or to, to reconcile a relationship. And I think what, when we go through these things that sometimes God allows them to come into our life for many reasons. But one reason is I think it causes us to release our grip on the things of this world and show us what truly is important and what truly is not important. So Peter's saying here, listen, when you're suffering and you're suffering well, you have this, you're armed yourself with this mind of how Christ suffered, then it's going to cause that sin 
to lose its power over you. It doesn't mean you're never going to sin again and have this some sort of sinless perfection. But that power of sin won't have that hold. Then in verse 2 he says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. I love this verse. I love this verse. And for those of you maybe who've been saved later on in life, you've been saved as an adult, you've been saved at a, a later age. Wow, what hope this verse brings. What encouragement this verse brings. Because Peter's saying, look, live forwardly. Live forwardly. That the rest of your life, the rest of your days, live for God's will. Oh, you used to live a certain way for your will. You used to live. In fact, he's going to list all these sins that, that people were, were caught up in and, 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 and in bondage to. And Peter's saying, listen, live for now. Live for what's coming. Don't allow that past to hold you down. Some of you live with tremendous guilt of mistakes and sin that you've done in the past. And I think what Peter's saying is, look, the rest of your days, the rest of your life, don't live in that past. Live forward. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, look, you can't go back and change the beginning. But you and I, we can start now and change the ending. That from this day forward, Peter's saying, look, the rest of your life, no longer live according to the lust of the flesh, but rather live for the will of God. And what a powerful verse that this is. Live for God now. Live forwardly. Don't allow the enemy to put you in bondage to how you used to live. The sins that you used to do. Who you used to be. Because by God's grace, we have been changed by the Spirit of God. And Peter's saying, live forwardly the rest of your days. That you should live not in the flesh to the lusts of men, but rather live to the will of God. He says, for in, the, in time past of our life, he says that, you, you lived, you, you, that your life was demonstrated by the will of the Gentiles. For in time past of, of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. He says, when we walked in lasciviousness, that just means an unrestrained lifestyle. You just did whatever, whatever felt good, lived in the moment, just were easily swayed and persuaded with, with those around you. You just dived into all this, this lasciviousness and lust and excess of wine. He's talking about, about uh, drinking and being drunk and, and banqueting. When we hear the word banquet, we think of like a nice formal dinner. Well, banqueting is like literally talking about going to play a, a wine house or a bar and just living it up. Peter's saying, that's what you once were. You lived in the lust of the flesh. You lived with these, these idols in your life. He says, abominable idolatries. He says, that's what you were. That's what you were, but not any longer. And there's this, there's this theme we see in the scripture, and that's this. That when we come to know Christ, when we are saved, it doesn't mean that we never struggle with sin again. But what it does mean is that we're being transformed by the Spirit of God. That nowhere in Scripture does it condone and affirm and tell us to celebrate sin. Rather, on the contrary, it reminds us that Christ has saved us from sin. And it reminds us that we are being transformed, 
not into sin, but we are being transformed out of sin. And this is a common theme that we see in Scripture that, that is so important that we understand in our culture today. Because what our culture is saying is that if you truly love someone, you're going to affirm, you're going to celebrate harmful, sinful behavior. And if you don't affirm it, if you don't celebrate it, well, then you're, you're just, you're, you're, you're mean and you're unloving. That is not the message we see in Scripture, though. It's not the message we see in Scripture. We see that Christ, through the power of the Spirit, transforms us out of sin. Transforms us out of sin. And this is what Peter's saying. He's like, look, the rest of your days, the rest of your life, don't live according to the flesh but rather to the will of God. Because when we're saved, Christ changes how we live. He changes how we think. He changes how we view the world, how we view sin, how we view others. He says, wherein they think it strange or they think it odd. He says, they think it odd that, that you're not running with them, that you run not with them to the same excess of riot Speaking evil of you. So we say, look, the people that you ran with, the people that you did all of this, this, this evil and this immorality and this lust and, and idolatry, all of these sinful things. He says, not everyone understands when you come to know the Lord that why you don't want to partake in this anymore. He's like, it's like they don't really get it. They don't understand. Why don't you want to do the same things anymore? And the reality is because they don't know the Lord. They haven't experienced that change. So it seems odd to them. It seems rather strange that you're not going to partake in all of, all of these things that you used to partake in. And he says, look, they might even speak evil of you. They might even malign you. They might feel like, oh man, you're, you're no longer part of our group anymore. And they might speak evil of you. And maybe, look, some of you maybe have experienced that. Maybe some of you are experiencing that right now. And you're not like doing it in a condescending way. Like you're not like, it's not an arrogant thing, but you just, you don't have the same values anymore. You actually want to please Christ. You want to do what Christ says and you want to follow his word. And because of that, maybe you feel like you've been excluded. You've been X'd out. You've been canceled. You're no longer welcome. You're no longer part of that group that you once were. Maybe your people are speaking evil against you. And man, don't we see that in our culture today? If you don't align with us, if you don't condone what, what we want and celebrate what we want you to celebrate, oh, we're going to speak evil against you. And so what happens is this. Many times it's, we're mocked. Christians are mocked. And then we're canceled. And eventually, that will lead to possibly that we'll suffer physical persecution. Now, again, sometimes Christians, they have this like martyrdom complex, and we can exaggerate some of the things. But honestly, when you look around in our culture today, it's not friendly towards people who believe the Bible and want to follow Christ. It's no, if you don't, if, if you don't believe what we tell you to believe, if you don't celebrate and condone what we want you to celebrate. And look, there's some things as Christians we would say, well, I can't condone this. I can't celebrate in this because God's word says this isn't right. This isn't what God's plan is. God has something far better than this. It's so, oh, so we're mocked or X'd out. 
And Peter's saying, look, it's okay. It's okay because God gets the final word. He says this, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead or the living and the dead? He's saying, look, God gets the final word. Now this isn't a, oh, ha ha, God's going to get him. No, this is, look, God's going to make all these things right. God's going to get the final say. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged if you're being mocked. Don't be discouraged if you're being X'd out. Don't be discouraged if you're maybe even going to face some persecution. Maybe you're going to get passed up on a promotion. Maybe you're going, you're going to get fired. Maybe you're going to suffer some for being a Christian. Peter's saying that's okay. God's going to get the final word. In fact, verse 6 seems like a, a, a rather odd verse to us. Just when a, a quick surface reading of it. But I think what Peter's doing, he's driving this point home. Because verse 6 says this. He says, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. What Peter's saying is, look, there are those believers that have died. They were living, right? The gospel was preached. They believed the gospel. They were judged by men unjustly. Perhaps even some that were martyred for their faith in Christ and their stand for Christ. He's saying they were judged according to men in the flesh. But he says, but now they live according to God in the spirit. They are with the Lord. They have been vindicated. They are with Christ and they're glad and rejoicing for the suffering that they went through for a short time. Even though they were unfairly judged. It seems like this is what Peter's saying in this verse. He's driving home this point, and here it is. You and I may not face justice here in this life. Now, as Christians, we should absolutely pursue justice. In fact, as Christians, we actually have a meaningful biblical worldview that gives us a foundation for why we should pursue justice, for why things like theft and racism and murder and why those things are so so just detestable because we actually have a meaningful worldview that gives us a ground to stand on to to say no those things are not right those things are not fair that we have a god that created us we are image bearers of god and so we shouldn't treat people unfairly and unjustly we should treat people fairly. But listen, sometimes here in this life, we're not going to get fair. We're not going to get justice. Though we should pursue it, there may be a time we don't get it. Peter's saying, look, there's those. They actually were judged unfairly according to men. But guess what? Now they live according to God in the spirit. Look, as Christians, maybe, you're, maybe we're, we're not going to be treated fairly. Maybe we're even going to suffer persecution. But God is keeping track. God is keeping track. God's the one who gets the final word. Now he says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. <coughs> in other words, he's saying time is short. Whether it was how long they had to live or the return of Christ. You get this, this idea from the, the New Testament writers 
that they were living in the expectation of the return of Christ. So you see this phrase, last days, right? Now we're living more in the last days, but the New Testament writers, they also realize they're living in the last days, the time of, of Christ when he came the first time and then ascended into heaven. This is the last days. And he's saying, look, living in the sense of having an urgency, knowing our time is short. Now, you may not remember this because it was from several weeks ago. In fact, a couple months ago, when we started the, the, the book of 1 Peter, we talked about the context of who Peter's writing to. He's writing to a lot of migrant farmers who lived in the, the what's modern-day Turkey area, and they had a lifespan expectancy of about 45 years of age. And so you could absolutely say for many of them, like, yeah, time is short. Now, again, we have this illusion that we're going to live to be like, you know, 80 or 90 or 100. We don't know that, right? Those of us who aren't 45 yet, we're not guaranteed we're going to live to 45. We don't know that. The point is, though, Peter's saying is, look, time is short. So what does that mean? That we, we build a bunker and store up food and weapons? No, it's actually just the opposite. Peter's saying, because time is short, he's like, be sober or be serious-minded. Be serious-minded about this. He says, and watch unto prayer. The first thing he says, be serious about prayer. Pray harder. Pray harder. Time is short. So devote time to prayer. And then he says, and above all things, have fervent charity. So he's not saying isolate and shelter but rather build a bigger table and have fervent love for one another. He's going to use this word in verse 9. We talked about it already some before, hospitality. That means a lover of strangers. In other words, because time is short, it doesn't mean we have this escapist mentality of, oh, well, Christ is going to come and take us away from all of this. No, that's not the mentality. Though, yes, we do have that hope that Christ is coming. Christ is going to rule and reign. That Jesus Christ will come. That he physically will rule and reign with us for eternity. And we celebrate and rejoice in that. Amen. However, Peter's saying, look, knowing that, knowing that time is short, here's how you're supposed to live. Be prayerful. He's a show love to one another. Hospitality without grudging. He says in verse number eight, it says that charity or love, it covers a multitude of sins. In other words, love offers forgiveness. Love doesn't hold things over people. And again, this isn't in the context of judicial where it's like a crime's been committed. We're talking about in relationships with one another. He's saying, you know what love does? Love actually covers sin. Love doesn't hold sin over people. True love doesn't hold over mistakes that your spouse has made over them. Love doesn't hold something over another brother or sister in Christ who maybe has wronged you in the past and they've asked for forgiveness. And, and, and said, don't use that as leverage to hold it over. Say, no, if you truly love someone, you're going to extend forgiveness. Why? Because charity, love, it covers a multitude of sins. Just use hospitality one to another without grudging. So he's saying, because time is short... Because the end is at hand, he says, pray, show love, be hospitable. And now he's going to say, be busy serving. Be busy serving. Serving the church, serving one another. 
In fact, he's going to point out, there's, he doesn't give an exhaustive list here of spiritual gifts, but he alludes to really two categories of spiritual gifts. Look at verse number 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, God's the one that's given you a gift. Use that gift for God's glory. Use that gift to serve one another. And then in verse 11, he says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, that word minister, it means to serve. It's where we get the word deacon from. Deacons or serve those that come alongside to help serve the needs in the church. And yes, that's an office in the church deacon. But the reality is all of us are called in, in that capacity to serve. And he says, let a minister to do as the ability which God giveth. That God, and here, here's why, here's the purpose, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So because time is short, be busy serving. And he really categorizes different gifts that God gives to you and gives to me in two areas, speaking gifts and serving gifts. And we're gifted in different ways. Now, that, that doesn't mean maybe God's gifted you with, with the ability to teach and speak. It doesn't mean that you don't serve and get your hands dirty and vice versa. You know, maybe God's gifted you more in some of the behind the scenes service. But, hey, there might be times where, where you need to speak up for Christ and you need to, to help in that capacity. But what Peter's saying is, look, God gives us uniquely. There's some people just like that's, that's just their, they found their calling in that. And he's saying, look. Don't elevate one over the other that one's more important. They're all important that God's gifted us as a church. God's gifted, yes, the church as a whole, the whole body of Christ. But then specifically, I think we can make the argument to local congregations that God gifts the church with people. He equips the church to be able to function as he intends for it to function. And say, look, if you have the gift of speaking, hey, make sure you're speaking God's word, the oracles of God. In other words, you have an obligation. We as pastors and teachers have an obligation to divide the word of God accurately, to speak it correctly, to not just make it say what we want it to say or what we think it says, but what does the word of God actually say? And that is a very sobering thing to me to recognize that like I'm going to give an account to God for, for preaching and teaching the word of God. Don't put my twist or spin or, again, try to make a verse say what it doesn't say, like to, to, to proclaim it accurately. He says, look, if that's what God's gift, if, if that's the gift God's given some, use that. He says, maybe God's gifted you with or given you the gift of serving behind, behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, you're serving. Like just you can make stuff happen and you don't necessarily want or need like that recognition or the, the spotlight, so to speak. Peter's saying, look. It's important to understand how God's gifted you and then use that because the time is at hand. The, time, the shortness of time doesn't mean that we back away and hide and isolate. No, we should be busy. And again, Peter's talking to Christians right now. It'd be really easy and understandable for these guys to say, hey, we're just going to go in completely in hiding. But Peter's saying, no, use your gift, serve, love, be hospitable. He's saying, why? Because time is short. And ultimately, when we use those gifts for God and for his glory, he says that 
God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12, he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. <coughs> don't, don't be shocked. Don't be shocked. This fiery trial, this refining fire that God is bringing to purify the church. He's saying, don't be surprised when suffering comes. And again, like I said, I don't think that means that we have to like freak out and just like, you know, sit on the edge of our seat just waiting for, oh, something really bad's going to happen where we, we live just paranoid and we live in fear. But on the other hand, we shouldn't be all that shocked when we go through difficult times. We live in a fallen world. Yes, yeah, Satan is at work. There's, there's Satan and demons at work. And Peter's saying, look, sometimes that fiery trial, sometimes those difficulties, God's bringing it to purge. God's bringing it to refine. God's bringing it for his glory and his purpose. He's saying, so don't think it's strange. Don't think it odd. He says, but rather, verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings. So he's saying, look, if you're suffering for Christ, you can actually rejoice in that because you're partakers of what Christ suffered and went through. Not saying that We'll experience that same suffering that Christ went through on the cross. But he's saying, look, when you go through, through trials, when you're going through suffering for the cause of Christ, you can rejoice because you're suffering for him. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Look, there's many times here in this life where we see, man, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to, be, to suffer. It's worth it to go through that adversity. I see what God's doing. And, but, you know, there's also times we may not see here in this life. Peter's saying, well, one day you're, it's going to be revealed. That glory is going to be revealed. That glory is going to be revealed. Paul talked about that in, in Corinthians and also in Romans about this, this suffering or the light affliction we go through. It's, it's light affliction. It's, it's nothing compared to the glory that one day is going to be revealed of seeing God's purpose in it. So we can rejoice in that, he says. And he says, look, and if you're reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. Look, people might speak evil of you. They might speak evil of the name of Christ, but ultimately, look, God's going to be glorified in it. You can actually rejoice in it. You can actually rejoice when people speak evil of you. They might think they're speaking evil of Christ. They might think they're speaking evil of you, but God's going to be glorified in it. But then he reminds them, look, don't suffer for sin. Don't suffer for your own foolishness. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a busybody. or That's a gossip in other men's matters. He's like, if you're suffering because of your own sin, there's no glory in that. Now, that's not, to say that, that's not to say that God can't take our sins and failures and mistakes if we repent of that. That God can't take even those sinful mistakes and actually use it for something for his glory and use it for something that's meaningful. But what Peter is, is doing, he's differentiating. He's saying, don't act like a martyr if you're actually suffering because of your own sin. But he's saying, <clears throat> rather, he says, if any man suffer as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God on this behalf. Saying if you're suffering for a, as a Christian, if you're suffering for righteousness, you can rejoice in that. So I wonder, are you experiencing some of that? Maybe it's not like someone's, you know, physically threatening you right now. Maybe it's not that like you're actually like scared that you're going to be thrown in a jail cell because you're, you're standing for Christ. I mean, honestly, that's happening all over the world. Christians are suffering. There's Christians right now in places in, in the world that are actually imprisoned because of their faith in Christ. So let's not be so naive as to think, oh, that could never happen to us. But maybe that's not really, you're not fearful of that threat, but maybe you're suffering persecution by people that mock you. They malign you. They're speaking evil against you. They're excluding you from things. They're overlooking certain promotions or certain things. And just because you want to stand for Christ and be faithful to Christ and faithful to the word of God and what the word of God teaches, look, we might have to suffer for that. We might pay a price for that. Peter's saying, you know what? If you suffer for those reasons, you can actually be happy. You can rejoice because it's for Christ that you're suffering and it's worth it. It's worth it to stand for Christ. Don't be ashamed. Don't be intimidated. Don't be fearful because you're suffering for Christ. And he says, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And he says, if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? He's saying, look, that refining fire of, of, of God's, uh, God allowing the suffering and you to pass through this. He's like, for Christians, it might seem almost at the point of being overwhelmed. But he's like, listen, God's got a purpose in that. God's actually refining you from it. He's like, what's more fearful is... People that they're suffering for their own sin. They, they're not even a believer. They don't even know the Lord. He's like, that's something that's a tragedy. He's saying, but look, as believers, you're suffering for Christ. You can rejoice. And I love how he closes out the chapter. He says, wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that just bring a hope into us? It breathes life and hope. Because look, if you're suffering to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto a faithful creator. In other words, he's saying you can trust God's sovereign hand during suffering. The song that we sang today, that we, that we have, we have strength for today and we have bright hope for tomorrow why well the whole song's talking about because god is faithful it, this is what peter's saying look god's faithful god has always been faithful to his people and god will continue to be faithful to his people he's like you might be suffering for doing the will of god People might be maligning you, speaking evil of you, and harming you. But if you're doing it for righteousness sake, if they're doing it because of your stand for Christ, you don't need to be ashamed. You can actually commit or be persuaded, be convinced, be confident 
that God's got this. Why? Because he's faithful. Because he's faithful. So obviously we're not living in this specific time that Peter's writing in. But wow, so much application that we can take from this. Peter's writing to Christians in a difficult context. And we as Christians might be called the minister in difficult days. But we can rest in the fact that all that we go through, it goes through the sovereign hand of God. There's a filter. There's a filter. And nothing's going to touch us that doesn't first go through God's hand. That God has a purpose in all of it. God has a plan in all of it. So don't freak out. Even though we as Christians might suffer. We as Christians might go through difficulties. And again, maybe it's not, today maybe what you're going through isn't necessarily like, you know, someone's bullying you or, or someone's persecuting you for being a Christian. Maybe that fiery trial that you're going through is just difficult days and times. I mean, we look, look around. Yes, we have it good. We have it well. But as we look around, like, wow, like, you know, things might be getting even more and more difficult. Look at the economy and just even some of those day-to-day -day issues that a lot of us struggle with and we worry about. You know, again, I don't think that that means we're bad Christians. It's just we're living in reality. We look around. Well, Peter's writing to migrant farmers who at any moment could lose all of their crops because of storms or because of pestilence. And he's like, hey, you might go through that. You might go through some hardships and suffering. But God has you. God's in control of this. God is faithful. He's a faithful creator. And God was faithful to his, to his people. Here, to these believers that were going through persecution, did it mean that God had, had lost control or lost power or that something caught God by surprise? No, God was allowing it to purify and to build his church. And what you and I go through, God's allowing it to purify, to build us into who he wants us to be. So we can be confident and commit our soul to his keeping because he is a faithful God. He is a faithful creator.